0: Je m'appelle Sasuke Uchiwa.
1: No, no, that's my shtick.
0: welcome to Casuals of Runeterra, episode fifty-seven. I'm your host Ryan here with your other host. Did you know my bad Sasuke Uchiwa?
1: <laughs> no, no, it's... that's my shtick. I'm the one that makes us laugh at the intro.
0: <laughs> I'm here with Hatch. Uh,
1: Hatch. <laughs> oh damn you, Mister Uchiwa! They'll, they'll never know. They'll ne- they'll never know the story. <laughs> You know, in fact, in fact, we'll like, pay attention to the housekeeping, because if you do understand what we're laughing about, oh, I want man. you to hit us up just so that we can laugh together Please. while the plebs
0: don't know. <laughs> Please, if you do know messages and be like, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you can listen to us everywhere, as usual, including Amazon now. Um, follow us on Twitter. That's the easiest way to keep up with date on episodes. That's at podcast core. That's podcast C-O-R. And you can email us at the same name, podcastcore at gmail.com. Leave a like, follow, and short review slash comment. doesn't have to be massive uh, at anywhere you listen. Uh, that definitely helps us get some visibility. And tell a friend to heed the warning signs by listening to the Casuals of Runeterra podcast.
1: Man, what, what what do they need warning from?
0: Um. The (laughs) heroine. The
1: heroin's coming!
0: Today we're talking about another story, you know, these new segments we're doing. um, We're going through stories, digging into them deep after giving you some, you know, some champion content. Uh, For this one, you're definitely going to want to listen to the Callista episode. Uh, And then some of the other uh, Shadow Owls-based episodes. Uh, It doesn't hurt to listen to uh, the Sentinels of Light stuff that we've done. And the other stories that revolve around the Sentinel of Light uh, episodes, those will help you understand this a bit more. But this is one of those stories, uh, and the one we're talking about today is In Sight of Land. Um, This is one of those stories that, you know, Hetch and I kind of agree are one of the better ones out of, you know, the many that Riot has given us. And it's one of the longer ones. But it's written so well that you almost don't need the Riot pieces that are added on top of it to give it that lore flavor. It's just well done um from a you know short like a short film at a Cannes Festival type thing.
1: Yeah. And and it it really is one of those things where like the riot pieces are just kind of like added on as flair of just a reminder, uh, that it is connected to the overarching story. Um, but we we wanted to talk about it not only because it is just a really good story, um so if you if you have a chance and you're interested in reading that stuff, just go and read Inside of Land. You will enjoy it. It's good, but we also wanted to hit to touch on it because the Sentinels of Light comic, the whole buildup is around the coming of a harrowing. It's uh, and it's a big harrowing. It's a harrowing that scared all the veteran Sentinels of Light, uh, and that so. That is something that's referenced in Akshan's backstory. It references kind of Senna's whole return to Room Terra. Uh, So we kind of wanted to touch on what is a harrowing? Like, you know, why are they so absolutely afraid of a harrowing? And this story... It paints the picture well.
0: Yeah, it does so very well. And let's hop into it because like we said, this is a long one. We're going to try to not bore you to sleep (laughs) as we dig into this. All right. I'll Um, take the first nap. You'll take the first nap. Take (laughs) take the first (laughs) nap. So this story starts off on an airy body of water, cold night, sky filled with shadow. But these are the shadows of tendrils, which we've explained before is like mist and mist wraiths. Um, But this one is projected as a larger-than-life one. Um, We get mentions of harrowings here, like Hetch mentioned. And you can think of a harrowing at this point as a just natural disaster, an occurrence that people expect, an occurrence that people prepare prepare for, and they have, you know, their um, recovery period afterwards. It's like the the best example I can think of, and Hetch, if you agree with this, is like a hurricane um, in, you know, the real world
1: yeah i i like the hur- a hurricane uh like referencing it to a hurricane is perfect too because the more that we dive into these stories uh, the, the more that you're going to see that Bilgewater is kind of experiences harrowings the most and it's because they're on the coast so they are just physically closer to the I like to the shadow isles than most everyone else well They're closer than everyone on Valoran, which is the continent, uh, like the mainland of Runeterra, where Ionia is probably the closest to the Shadow Isles, but Ionia also is very in touch with the spiritual side. So they have a lot of like defenses against that stuff. So for them, it's not really the same as everywhere else. Whereas Bilgewater, they ain't got any of that spiritual side. Yeah. Like they they even kind of like pinpoint the weirdos who are a spiritual. So they really do just like, oh, looks like another heroin's coming. <laughs> my 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 sister, my sister down in Sharima she said I could stay with her for a few weeks, but yeah. you know, this is my fourth one. This, this ain't got nothing on Andrew that came through back in 92. <laughs> So board up. I'm just going to board up. Keep the mist race out. <laughs> drink Board a, up
0: and hunker down.
1: Hunker down. Drink a Graggy Ice. <laughs> graggy Ice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this mention of a harrowing here and one of the bigger ones, because there's a mention that the sky just looks different than usual. Kind of gives us a time frame based on what we know. Um, so if you've listened listened to our Akshon episode and, you know, the Akshon adjacent episodes, the mentions of Shadia, and she was preparing for what she felt in her heart as a Sentinels, Sentinel of Light, um, a the biggest harrowing to come yet. So this could be the same one being referenced here, which gives us a time frame um, of, of what's going to happen in this story. So we get another scene of, you know, the night sea kind of usually is still, but it's littered with driftwood and bodies. Something has just happened and we're introduced to the first character in the story, which is Tudri. Or I think it's Tudri, right? It's,
1: yeah, we make the rules yeah. of how it's pronounced. So it's Tudri now. Yeah. That, that's, that, that. Those are facts. Um. Yeah. And as far as like getting introduced to Tudry is some of the best riding in this whole story. Like it really does just kind of set the tone of like, okay, strap in, like grab your popcorn. This is going to be, this is going to be a ride.
0: Exactly. So Tudry is represented to us as a survivor. There's plenty of bodies driftwood, but he's on a hunk of wood by himself and he seems to be the only one within miles. So he's probably the only survivor that we know of from a attempt at an abandoned ship. And, He's lost his voice during this time frame, uh, and he's also stuck to this hunk of wood, and his body slowly becoming colder and colder. And he's starting to slip into this, this sense of delirium, uh, but he's trying to maintain focus and keep his legs moving, because um, he has this feeling that he's close to land, based on his experience.
1: Yeah, and this it this also at the beginning, like the. If we look at a lot of the Bilgewater champions, like uh, especially characters like Nautilus and Pike, um, we see that there is another spiritual element as far as to build a lot of the Bilgewater characters, which is the spirits of the ocean itself. Um, And at this point of the story, we don't really have like a pinpoint of what is haunting Tudri yet. Um, There are mentions that you know, the, that he could feel this, uh, he could feel a siren calling to him or like essentially a siren and they, the, he would be given rest and peace if he would just let the water into his lungs. Uh, and it's like, okay, like, is that, are we talking wraiths or are we talking weird tentacle things and allow coming out of the water? Like what what's going on here?
0: <laughs> yeah, is there more to it uh, per se? So we get that view of him and then um, we get a sense of what happened, right? He talks about, you know, originally his ship was sailing. He's thinking about the events that happened and led to this point. His ship was sailing to what we got as Fahlgren, um which is a small island off the Valerian coast. Um, so that's kind of what he's peddling towards. He's thinking that it has to be close based on how fast we were moving. And then suddenly out the side of his good eye. So now we're getting more details about Tadri. Good eye. So either he has like one milky eye, a cataracts, or he has like an eye patch, kind of like your classic um, swashbuckling pirate type. Um, But he gets a a shot of something coming closer, and it looks like this oily vellum, you know, animal skin parchment that was used for like maps and other things, uh, drifting closer. So he grabs it in this piece, of map essentially has some navigation charts roughly scribbled or scribbled on it. Um, He's like, okay, cool. You know, this is something that kind of reassures his thought that he's close to land. Right. Um, And then we get a flashback. So this is the first time we're shifting focus from present to past. And it starts with this quote that from him that says you're insane. Right. And it drops us into the scene of a ship preparing to go off into a storm. Uh, and the person guiding that ship is no other than Tadri himself. Um, this is interesting because we get this scene between Tadri and another character introduced as Mister Bowsey, which is a funny name. Like, <laughs> uh, okay,
1: okay, like this whole like the going into the flashback too because like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna end up saying this a lot. I mm-hmm. would love to see this story as an animation. Yep. Um, and it's because like I could see now of just the you know the the whole uh like leo dicaprio and titanic just like freezing to death in the water and then just like disembodied voice you're insane and then like (laughs) that triggers the flashback yeah uh and then but then, like, like combine it with like Mr. Bowsey, so that it just looks like looks like Shmi from the Hook movie. <laughs>
0: like, I, it's like, yeah, I, I, I want to see this. I want to see Mr. this, Mr. Bowsey. Yeah. So we get this discussion between Tadri and Mr. Bowsey. Um, Tadri kind of is given this. We get the sense that he's in some position of power because Mr. Bowsey like, hey we shouldn't take this mission. Like we shouldn't take this mission. We shouldn't go. We should hunker down like the rest of the ships. Tadri is essentially calling him weak and saying, listen, if we go fast, we're one of the faster ships, the faster we go, the faster we get rich. And he kind of mocks other ships for being so cautious and taking this storm slash harrowing seriously. Um, and Mr. Bowsey's mentions, you know, this current harrowing based on what they might encounter it's just not worth it, right? It's the equivalent of like you've seen in plenty of Hollywood movies where they decide to sail into that storm. They know it's coming, but they want to get the big catch. <laughs> and yeah. it's never worth it. And,
1: it. and it definitely makes sense, too, because it is like Bilgewater is very much like a pirate island. Like there's the So the idea of the ship that makes its money by going out, sailing and looking for treasure or potentially raiding if you're if you're seeing a storm where no one's gonna go out then of course it's just like you get your pick of the litter then right yep
0: what could go wrong <laughs> let's talk about what could go wrong <laughs> <laughs> so Bowsey makes this mention Tadri finally tells him listen if you don't like it leave it <laughs> all right you can leave and you can take any deckhand you want that doesn't want to go as well and that just means more riches for him, more spoils for him. So that classic pirate pirate mindset. But you know, he also refused. So Bowser's final please, like, let's just put it to a vote for every you know, all the crew. And he says, No, not this time. We're doing this. So we get kind of a view of, you know, it's interesting that we start off with seeing someone so helpless, being the last survivor, stranded, but then we start to see this guy wasn't that great. He was actually a dog shit. What captain of some sort, um, leading them into what we'll find out about more about this situation.
1: Yeah, I I mean, he was a a confident captain that was ultimately commanded by his greed. Mm -hmm. And we can safely say that since, you know, it is a dude gripping driftwood. I doubt he was the captain of a crew on a piece of driftwood. Um, So this, yeah, yeah, I I will, I will say because I did uh, some deep diving because I'm a nerd. Uh, So Falgrin is an island that is located off of the one of the far eastern coasts of the Noxus, kind of close to like the Piltover area um okay. so they so not i i kind of get where tawdry's coming from too because yes it's a harrowing coming but you're also sailing away from these shadow aisles so it's just like yeah you know we get there we get back we're good
0: yeah so we get <laughs> we cut back to the current scene um of Tadri on the driftwood and he's recalling these memories right that's kind of how we're getting these viewpoints and he begins to feel weird, as if the atmosphere around him is changing and shifting. It's become more ominous, and he starts to feel pressure in his head as well. Now, this is a part where we i want to make a quick point—is that if you've listened to our other Shadow Isle episodes about um, spectrification, as we've called it in the past, just to reiterate, when that happens, when somebody's dying in the in the presence of mist, that's going to you know ostensibly turn them into a specter they start to feel a specific like personality trait or a specific thing. And that's usually what carries over into their specter form. It's kind of this one track mindset based on a prominent feeling at your point of death, right? And this seems to be what they're trying to describe here that he's starting to feel. Like he's getting closer to death and he's starting to feel all these different memories, you know, culminate in this, what he's going to be in a specter form.
1: Yeah, and it also is like tramping back to the beginning where he's feeling all of this, the kind of like for a lack of better way of describing it, the spiritual pressure. Yeah. Um, around him, like this idea of like, oh, there's peace and uh, rest for me if I let the water into my lungs. Yeah. Um, like, and, and it kind of goes in with that of just like now he's like really. Starting to like go into the single focus that the wraiths have, um, while and he has to shake that as far as trying to survive, like that is what he's shaking more than the actual physical stress of being adrift in the ocean,
0: exactly. And you know, due to great writing, we know he's stubborn and he starts to get inside his own head and tell himself, you know, I'm not weak, I'm not like them, I'm a survivor. I'm used to these situations. So he's starting to, he's gripping onto his uh, mental state had a pure stubbornness in his, you know, personality and that allows him to keep keep on. It's almost these, you know, I have to these spouts of empty platitudes of bravado to pump himself up, get the adrenaline pumping. Um, even though his teeth are chattering, right? So it's it's like this weak, um, meager, uh, situation where he's still trying to feel like he's in control. And he then reassures himself that land is close, you know, inside of land. Hint, hint. Yeah.
1: Right. And, and it's at this point that I do really kind of find myself like enjoying Tadri's character too, because he's, and this is where like he's forcing himself to physically speak as well. Like, so he's speaking to nothing essentially, um, or he's speaking to his madness yeah. and, but you know, he's saying a boat's made for sailing. <laughs> so <laughs> it, yeah, I've done that run a dozen times. Can't live this life if he ain't the daring sort. exactly and, and it's like, you know, yeah, like that. It, it kind of gives like the uh the feeling of really successful pro athletes like a lot of yeah. times their ego is bigger than their athletic ability but it's they have to be that way because they always have to be on
0: exactly
1: um so th- his character is already enjoyable and again this is we're just like not even halfway through a short story
0: oh dude yeah it, it, so it gets it gets better so he's continuing to drift as he's kicking trying to land. And he begins to drift into this field of debris. Now, this isn't where he's guiding it, which is your fur, another sense of something else acting upon the situation. But he's trying to avoid the field of debris because, I mean, he's a weathered um, professional, Um, despite his personality, and he knows that, you know, you get caught up in debris, it can bring you down. And he starts to see this piece of sailcloth coming closer and closer to him, despite him trying to avoid it. He attempts to move it aside so he doesn't get tangled in it, but unfortunately his arm gets stuck up to the elbow, and then we go rushing into another bout of memories from a flashback.
1: And, oh boy, now this is where we start breaking into... What is a harrowing? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so if it hasn't been clear yet, the, the second flashback is going to be starting off <clears throat> with uh, with Tadre yelling out, you know, hold fast, secure that line. Um, and he's yelling at a ship that is being ripped to pieces by a harrowing yeah and this is where we start getting some descriptions of a harrowing but i do like that we don't have like too many descriptions because one of the issues with the harrowing is that it's all consuming yes it's all terrifying so if you're not hunkered down or if you're not just playing out a dodge you're gonna die like, like
0: <laughs> you're just gonna die yeah and that also leads to like the stories we hear about harrowings tend to vary because the people who were in them Tend not to make it back. Um, so we get the scene of trapped in the storm. We hear yelling. The crew is you know running to their positions, trying to hold fast. And you get the scene of violent rain, winds, the obvious um, mist um, kind of getting closer and creeping aboard the ship and beating up the ship itself, its patrons. And, you know, this ship he mentions is usually a faster ship. But because of the situation, we learn that not only did they decide to go out, but they raided the ships that were left behind for spoils um, from the, you know, more cautious captains um, to kind of emphasize how tawdry looks down upon them for being cowards. Uh, and, And then we start to look at what's starting to happen to the patrons on board. Is okay, the spoils are slowing down the ship once again because of greed. Um Bowsy, unfortunately, is the first one to get lost in the darkness, literally just gets tossed off the ship, never to be seen from again.
1: Yeah, uh, like classic hey, messenger energy. And, <laughs> and it's also written down as like snatched. So we also like we mm-hmm. get in this flashback an idea that it is that the harrowing is a just a screaming mass of spirits. <laughs> So there, there's also the chance that it was a mist wraith, literally just, you know, like hands on Bowsy, And then you're coming with me. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, you can even think <laughs> like, of who knows?
0: if you if, if any of you listeners have list have watched um, The Mist or read Stephen King's The Mist. Uh, it's a great example. Like when they're in the supermarket, like whenever you see them interact with it, there's like these tendrils and usually they're different and you don't know what's going on. People are disappearing, screams are disappearing, but it feels like they're near, but it's far because you're you're kind of in this bubble of uh the supernatural bubble.
1: That's the perfect example. This from Stephen King's a mist. That that that's exactly how
0: I imagine it. And like most of Stephen King's work, usually the innocent people and the people who were cautious go first. So bowsy has gone. The next guy that we get a vision of is a, a little boy, a young boy named Flair, who's trying to secure the sail from essentially, you know, ripping the ship in half. Um, and he ends up getting carried off in a moment that Tawdry could have helped him um, or Tudry could have helped him. He decided not to looked away, and the boy was gone in, in, in another moment. Um, and he makes a comment here, which is, disgusting which is better him than me now <laughs> listen first of all i think we didn't say it but i think most people know the captain always goes down with the ship that's how it works right that's kind of the rule of thumb
1: hey hey <laughs> hey Tudri, Tadri, whatever he yeah. is in the water right now yeah. he is not above the water <laughs> he is now down in the water therefore he went down with the ship Tudry, they, it, okay okay so Tudri yeah, got it he got yeah, a,
0: it, it technically says,
1: yeah like this is <laughs> it says nothing about dying because your ship is gone <laughs> it's about going down with your ship so he went ahead he put his toes in the water yeah and he's like H- I've Hedge gone down a lawyer with it real quick. and there you go well, you damn straight <laughs> <laughs> the lawyer of <bills> water <laughs> um like before before we go on, yeah. as far as with Tudry, uh dying, like uh, with Flair's death, uh, that is um, when he gets snatched up. Well, it's the 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 mast breaks and then it gets caught in the winds and it blows into yeah, the harrowing. Yeah, exactly. uh, and what is written here, so verbatim, mm-hmm. um, is uh, uh, Tudri saw his eyes wide in terror as he flew into a cloud of twisted faces and outstretched, clutching hands. So that is about the only description of what a harrowing looks like that we get because, again, most of the survivors of harrowings, they don't see it because that's how they survived it.
0: <laughs> they- yeah, and that's, I'm happy you brought that up because a lot of the art, if you look at the Legend of Rune Terror cards for mist raids, have that visual, which is like a, either a face or a skull or hands or something like that in the mist. So that, that kind of aligns and gives us another connection there.
1: Yeah, uh, and this is. I also kind of imagined uh, the the animation for the card Ruination. Funnily enough, because uh, like the Harrowing and Ruination both do very different things in the card game, but I imagine like the animation of the of Ruination, where it's just the hands coming up and just grab everything, <laughs> grab everything. Nothing, no man left behind. Yeah. Just grab it all uh but that we we get this sadly, we get this depiction uh thanks to flair's death, so you yeah. know, f in the chat for our boy flair,
0: oh, yeah, <laughs> don't worry, it gets worse so <laughs> so Tudry obviously lets a young boy go and says his life is worth more, and he then comes back to the present with that that thought. And he's continuing to fight with this sail that's kind of wrapped itself around his arm, and it's beginning to cling to him unnaturally at this point, um, where he can't get it off. So he fights with it to the point where he almost falls off the driftwood, uh, and this pressure in his head's continuing to build and build and build, and he's having these outward arguments um with himself essentially claiming that everything he did was because he was the captain and he needed to survive to keep everybody else safe. He was trying to prolong his existence to help everyone else. And like that's, he's trying to convince himself that. Yeah. And See, he's the protagonist. He's the protagonist. <laughs> he's, he's the ultimate protag. <laughs> um, Kirito-kun. Anyways, so, <laughs> he- <laughs> so he finally ends up pulling himself free. Uh, But the cloth then wraps him around the driftwood facing underwater. Now, this is the part where he starts to finally start freaking out. (laughs) Um, And he opens his good eye, which is mentioned again. He starts just looking around the depths to see if he can see anything because it's dark. It's nighttime. It's, you know, murky waters. And he's seeing only bodies and mainly the bodies of the men, women that he let die that night. Um, and it was all due to his greed and his ignorance and mainly his malice. Like he cared. It was self-preservation from the beginning um, after a decision that involved everyone's life without including them in it. Uh, and he's able to break free from this um, probably out of, you know, complete and utter fear. And when he grasped for something, he ends up grabbing one of the remaining lifeboats or lifeboats, sorry. And a flashback begins, and this is the final flashback we're going to have before the conclusion of the story. Uh,
1: And with him having like this panic, where where he's finally starting to like break a little bit, uh, the key point is that he's hearing the like when he opens his eyes underwater, he's actually recognizing that some of the the debris is not debris; it's bodies of his crew. So then he hears voices, and the voices are saying that, you know, they were the crew that relied on him and he betrayed them. Um, and the key word there is betrayed. That will come up later. It will be on the quiz. All right. So <laughs> remember the word betrayed.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we get the flashback and now we're at the point in this catastrophe where people are running lifeboats. And these are like not top of the line. These are rickety lifeboats. <laughs> And crew members are yelling that you know they're full. We need to get these people out, get them away from the boat. Um, on these, and Tadri runs up, jumps the you know the, the the deck onto one of these boats that's completely full. And one of the crew members who's on the boat is like, "Hey, you can't hop on this. We're full. We're at capacity. This thing won't last if we overpack it. There'll be no point. Everyone will go to their doom." And Tadri pulls him in nice and close and stabs him, quick and easy right through the gut, pulls the knife out, throws him overboard and says, there, we have one less. We can go now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is the worst. Uh, so <laughs> I, I I made a note
1: here that it is. Uh, this is akin to everyone's favorite Titanic scene. Go ahead, put that favorite scene of the movie Titanic in your mind. Yeah. And yes, it's the scene of the spoiled rich guy trying to get on the lifeboats with the women and children. Um, so the, but this time we have a Bilgewater twist, which is, Hey, the guy says you can't get on, kill that guy. <laughs> no, you can. Um, now the, the last image that, uh, that Tadri sees while he's also like getting onto the boat and saying, all right, cast off. We're good now. Uh, like killing one of his crew members to make enough room the the scene that he's seeing is the the de- the deck of the ship with a lot of his veteran crew members so guys that he's done many raids with that are and as far as what's written here no strangers to violence um and they're f- they are fighting the mist wraiths. and yes. it is saying that these very train like you know battle-hardened veterans are being cut down like wheat by the mist that's so image. the yeah so the, the harrowing is a. it's a nice buff to the yeah. shadow isles here <laughs> like they, they just like no there is still fighting
0: there yeah. there's still fighting we just we claim you or you get away that's it <laughs> the comments of the cries and the screams and them trying to plead with these things that don't understand what is happening they're essentially just hunting they're they're doing what missed race do
1: Oh, God, you will cry out for mercy and it will fall on deaf ears. Yep.
0: Um, But yeah, so we we get the scene of him obviously betraying the crew member casting off and he starts yelling at the people on the boat, convincing them that, you know, the strong live, the weak die I'm, I shouldn't have to feel bad about this. I'm doing what we need to do for survival. And no one's like, who are you talking to? Who are you trying to make feel good? And it's himself. And this brings us back to the present again. And with him kind of overcome with this guilt, uh, he still has that concept of land in mind that's giving him hope to keep on, keep on, keep on. And then he gets prod from behind. By something, and he's like, "Well, nothing was there a while ago." <laughs> <laughs> now hold on a second. <laughs> well, now hold on one second. <laughs> this is like a Scooby Doo scene. Yeah. Rutro, like, rutro. <laughs> so he turns around and notices there are spectral bodies of his crew all around him that weren't there previously. And with that, his head starts to fill with these cries of death. And you know the last moments of these crew members all kind of like psycho attacking him, right, which is something you've we've seen this in a lot of um in a lot of horror movies that deal with like possession and ghost uh where they overwhelm the living senses, right, and it kind of causes despair within the person being attacked, so this is nothing too crazy here, but the good part and the part that's like, okay, well, he's like well the that's not cool uh so he closes his eyes and he begins begging them to stop insisting that he did nothing wrong. That he he's like, I honestly tried the best. Listen, I'll give him this. He's a piece of shit. So he probably did try the best he could. <laughs> but it was nowhere near good
1: enough. <laughs> it's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So like he did his best. I believe him. <laughs> so he's begging, he's begging, and then finally the voice is kind of go away and he opens his eyes and who's standing there hedge uh well he is begging and
1: pleading and let's not forget the word that he is hearing in his head oh yeah yeah uh and the word that he is hearing in his head is betrayer um and so uh so yeah Mm -hmm. all right so if we're talking about a shadow isle story and the word betrayed why is that important who is that important to? Hmm, it's Callista. What? So Callista is not just here in the in the waters with uh, with Tadri. Uh, Callista is standing on the piece of the lifeboat, <laughs> just all in her full glory, just like oh, did someone call out betrayal?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny because he the way he describes her is you know obviously she's still clad in an armor. She is the slim form, but she shouldn't be so uh, weightless the way she's just standing there, given that everything we've been through through the story with Tawdry or Tudry and his driftwood, (laughs) it's not, the driftwood hasn't been helping him out a good bit, right? It's a piece of driftwood, but she's standing on it kind of effortlessly and she's looking down at him with blank eyes, blank eyes, unmoving, just kind of looking at him. Or looking through him is probably a better way to to explain yeah, that.
1: Lo- looking through him is definitely the better way to explain it. But you know, it's the blank eyes, s- s- slim form, and a trio of spears that had been driven through her chest. And exactly. Like, There's no mistaking that <laughs> this is. Hold on a second. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and they're from the back out the front. That kind of helps you kind of understand a bit more. uh, Yeah. (laughs) I'm in danger. I'm in danger. (laughs) Um, uh, I I immediately thought of the line, you know, the dead cried out for vengeance and there its lady stood. Uh, That kind of justifies why she's there and what she's going to to do. So he continues to try to reject responsibility because now he finally has a physical form to look at and use. Um, as a, as a bouncing board for his ideas of like, listen, I, I, you believe me, look at me, I tried, I give, I give it my best shot. And she's not giving him anything, not responding. All she does is lower her spear and put it to the tip of his throat, not piercing it, not cutting him, but slowly pushing him underwater. And this is one of the best scenes. And I mean, this, this whole thing up to this point has been great, but She's pushing him with the spear slowly and he's slowly drifting back, his head going lower and lower under the surface. And she holds him just under the surface, but he's no longer fighting back. Remember this whole time, we've seen him fight with the map he grabbed, fight with the sail, fight with the driftwood, fight with himself. But at this moment, he's not even, like it's not not that his body's numb or anything, it's just like he's given up for some reason. And I mean, we know why.
1: Yeah, it, we we know exactly why it's a league of legends rule uh creeps do not attack champions <laughs> unless unless the enemy champion attacks a friendly champion
0: <laughs> it's, yep it's
1: canon <laughs> it's canon now <laughs> um, but i i do like as well that like um the with the whole line of like the they called out for vengeance and the lady came yeah um because then like from that point, uh like whenever Tawdry is looking at Callista and trying to describe something on Callista, it is as lady vengeance. Yeah. So it's it kind of gives this idea that there is folklore already within the people, like the or the communities of Bilgewater that is built around Callista. Like it sounds like it sounds like people have seen Callista and lived to tell the tale before. And then it just evolved into an urban myth, so it was just like, this is the story that my parents would tell me when I was a kid. You know it's, this is the boogeyman of Bilgewater, except now she's real, and she's got her spear at my throat, and she's pushing me
0: underwater. Well, mommy <laughs> yeah. And, you know, where it kind of ends here is him slowly getting pushed and he's right on the surface. So he gets a few view of her as he's finally drifting away Um, and everything goes silent. The water finally becomes still again. Everything becomes still again. And he begins to sink. And along with him, his crew begins to sink again, those ghostly figures and all the light fades. And that is the end of Tudri. And he drifts lower and lower into the depths. And as it mentions at the end of the story, just in sight of land
1: hey he knew it yeah he knew it he was right he was right land had to be close (laughs) i'm almost
0: there i'm almost there this is uh this one is it's good like it even after listening to this episode we recommend you go read it um because it's just well written all around the story still holds weight if you've listened to this and read it yourself um because the the way it bounces and it's kind of shifting into our you know end of the episode kind of the analysis of us the how we feel about. It. So this is mine is that it does a great job of quickly setting you up to th- sympathize with Tudry to say oh he's a survivor he's the last guy this must be shocking. Then you start to get pieces of oh he's kind of you know aggressive this is kind of his fault. Then you see how he treats crew members and then you see the final moments um of how everyone kind of perished around him. Due to a lot of his involvement. And then we finally get this scene with Callista. that if you know Callista's story, you're already in her corner as far as one of the specters um, that has a story that's easy to sympathize with um, being betrayed. So to see her pop up at the end, the ghostly figure, the supposed scary thing is like, no, the true monster is in the water before her. And that's what's being that that's that's who you're rooting for is Callista at the end of the story, um, and it's that's that's good writing. It's a short story. I mean, it's longer than some, but it's it's short
1: for a short story. The amount of depth in this is absolutely incredible. Um, and as far as my ending notes here, it, it would not be a lore episode, a lore heavy episode, until I take a deep dive on something that's just ignorant. Yeah. Um. So. I like to think or my idea here, all right, mm-hmm. is Callista just pushes uh under the water. Yeah. And just like, okay. And but like pushing Tudri under the water isn't necessarily Callista, you know, just being like, haha, vengeance. But it's also like a rejection from the harrowing. So yeah. now she's left him to the spirits of the ocean. Yep. So then Tudri is just getting double-screwed yeah. by both the harrowing yeah. and whatever old gods are down beneath <laughs> the water.
0: Listen to our Nautilus episode if you haven't. Listen, we, we, we make this comment a lot in our Bilgewater episodes that you know there's so much about the harrowing and so many things that are dangerous on land. and You learn about what's in the water and you're like, wait a minute. There's no winning. Why do people live here? <laughs> People live here. You have the void, you have the harrowing on land, and then in the water you have unspeakable horrors and ancient monsters. And you can't even run out to the
1: frozen wasteland to get away from it all, because apparently that's where like the beginning of the next end is happening. Yeah, Uh, and don't climb a mountain, because because you're just gonna interact with some celestials then. (laughs) If you climb a mountain, if you climb a mountain, the stars will kill you outright. Why do people live here? Yeah. No I, wonder. No wonder the people of Pilta over in Zahn are just like, no, we're happy here. Yeah. We're we're, we're good here. Yeah. All right. And It's just like, well, what about all these other threats?
0: They're not nope. real. We believe in science, and we're happy here. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because that was my thought reading this in this despair of Aruntera that Pilto Verzon is a very isolated place compared to everywhere else. And I think we're going to have at some point a storyline from Riot where it opens up to the world, almost like a a flash to, uh, if you wanna take a look at Marvel and how when Wakanda opens up to the rest of the world, right? Because Wakanda is very isolated. All the incidents that were happening, they kind of were removed from that. So it'll be interesting to see if they have a storyline where it's like, all right, piltover's on, no more happy days. We're gonna open you up to the world. I I wonder if uh,
1: if the show Arcane is gonna be that thing that breaches it. Um, yeah. Which I mean, I, I I and I've said it before too, like I because again, if I'm not taking a deep dive on something ignorant, yeah. uh, it's not a true Casuals of Runeterra episode for Hetch. Uh, so I still want to believe that Arcane is gonna is gonna end up tying like Jin and being chased by Shen and mm-hmm. Zed into Piltover, like Arcane's gonna tie that in together. Um, which, by all accounts, it's just not real. But I want to believe it. <laughs> but uh, as far as with what little bit that we know, it could be that like that is what's going to be like. Yo, Piltover is on. You can't pretend that none of this is happening yeah. anymore. It, the The real world is out there, and it's coming to get you.
0: Yeah, and with that, because we can't give it all to you here, right? We gotta, we gotta, gotta keep this content train rolling. <laughs> but with that, thank you for listening as always, and we'll be back soon with the next episode.
1: Yep. Take care, everybody.